you can take a seat. Just wanted to call out the powerhouse Hannah that started us off today. What an amazing way to kick off the service. I can't see you right now, but what a powerful message. And it was clearly an overflow of your own heart, which is where the best messages come from. Now, in the year 155 AD, a mere 60 years after the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, an elderly man heard a knock at the door. While he wasn't expecting anyone, this knock was no surprise. The Christians in his city, the city of Smyrna, had been facing increased persecution. The people in their city were being forced to worship the emperor. And if they didn't, they could be banished or killed. Now, this man's name was Polycarp. And he wasn't just a member of the church in Smyrna. He was their leader, the bishop of Smyrna. He was 86 years old and he slowly but surely made his way to the door. He knew who was standing on the other side because God had revealed it to him a few weeks before. The soldiers were coming. He opened the door and instead of running away, instead of pleading his ignorance, he welcomed them into his home. Echoing Jesus, he said to them, do what you came to do. The soldiers arrested Polycarp. They took him to the proconsul, which was like the governor of this Roman province. Word got out that the leader of the Christian church, the Bishop of Smyrna, had been arrested and crowds began to gather. With his hands bound, they put and presented Polycarp before the governor, before the proconsul. It was documented what conversation went down between them. Let me read it to you. Swear, said the proconsul, deny Christ and I will set you free. Eighty-six years have I served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I deny my king and my saviour? I have wild animals here, said the proconsul. I will throw them to you if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. If you despise the animals, said the proconsul, then I will have you burned. Polycarp replied, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is then extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Soldiers grabbed this 86-year-old man and the fire was lit. Polycarp prayed out loud and his flesh was consumed and he died that day. 
people who were writing about this story said, however, that the burning was not of flesh being consumed, but rather of a fire refining gold and silver in a furnace. It's a powerful story. But it's even more compelling when you realise that only 60 years before, the very church that Polycarp became the leader of was written to in the book of Revelation. It was written to a church under persecution. It was a letter that Polycarp himself would have read dozens if not hundreds of times, that he would have preached to the followers of Jesus it would have been a letter that would have given him strength and foundation for that very moment when he was charged with the decision to deny Christ and live or to stay faithful and die. As you know, we are continuing in this series, Biblical Algorithms. This is the second week we're working through the book of Revelation, specifically looking at the seven letters to the churches. Last week, I was so convicted by the word that, that was brought about the letter to Ephesus. Have we lost our first love? And this week, we're looking at the letter to the church in Smyrna. Now, the book of Revelation can be daunting. There is blood and beasts and seven-eyed birds but beneath the surface, there is also rich blessing. In fact, in chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Or if you put it in the negative, blessed those who don't read aloud the words of this prophecy aren't blessed. Those who don't hear, those who don't keep what is written in it will not receive the blessing. So in order for us to be blessed this morning, let me read to you the letter to the church in Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8. You can follow along in the screen. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The house that we're living in at the moment, we're renting and the people who previously lived in it must not have forwarded on their mail. So we receive a lot of letters addressed to Julie Smith. 
I know all about the charities that she supports. I know where her home insurance was allocated to, her car insurance, her life insurance. Of course, we've never opened any of the mail. One time, my son accidentally opened a wedding invitation for poor Julie, but there was no return sender. So Julie doesn't get to go to the wedding and the people think she's rejecting them. Uh, Sorry about that, Julie. But reading these letters to the churches in Revelation is a little bit like reading someone else's mail. We're sort of peering over the shoulder of this letter that was written to them. We know that it had relevance for them, but it also has something to say to us. And of course, whenever you receive a letter, you always want to flip over the envelope and see who it's from. Who is the sender? And we're told at the beginning of Revelation that the Apostle John has written this book. He was on the island of Patmos. But of course, John is not the original author. It says in the very first verse that this is the testimony of Jesus Christ, who bore witness to the word of God, the testimony of him. We know that Jesus is the one who wrote the letter to these churches, Now, what's interesting is as he he writes these letters to each of the seven churches, he introduces himself in a different way each time. So to the church in Ephesus, Jesus describes himself as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. To the church in Pergamum, he talks about him holding the double-edged sword. To the church in Thyratia, he talks about eyes that have flames of fire. So how does he describe himself to the church of Smyrna? Well, he says in verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Now, if I was to ask my boss what were some of my best qualities, and if I was to ask my children the same question, I would get very different responses. I don't think my three-year-old would talk about my cultural alignment or my strategic thinking skills. And I hope that my boss wouldn't say that one of my best qualities is that I give the best cuddles. (laughs) See, different people resonate with different aspects of our personality. And Jesus wanted to highlight the things about him that this church most needed to hear. So what did Jesus say to the church in Smyrna? I want you to know that I am the first and the last. I am the one who died and came to life. He's echoing the the introduction in chapter 1 of Revelation where he says, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Now, this is significant. We're going to find out a little bit later on why this is so important about how Jesus introduced himself. So next, Jesus, in all of the letters, says the two same words. He says, I know. Now, five out of the seven letters, he says, I know your works. He's saying to these churches, I know all the good things you've done. I know what you're doing. I know your works. I know how hard you're working to serve me. But that's not what he says to the church in Smyrna. In verse 9, he says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. 
Some translations say, I know your affliction. Jesus is saying to them, I know your pain. I know what you're going through. I see what's invisible to everyone else. I see the unseen. I see how much you're pouring out. I see the affliction upon you, the trouble, the tribulation, the pain, the persecution. I see it. I know what you're walking through. If you can put it up on the screen, this is a photo of a woman called Gashan. I can't show you her face and I can't tell you her full name, but she is an Afghan Christian. It's okay, you couldn't see her face anyway. She is a Christian living in Afghanistan and she talks about what it was like the night that the Taliban took over Kabul Open Doors staff interviewed her late last year and she talks about on the 15th of August where her whole family was asleep. She says, and then we heard the blasts. The walls began to shake and then came the wailing. 160 Afghanistan people died that night along with 13 US soldiers Gulshan says that the blasts in Kabul were not just an act of terror, they were a threat to the Afghani people that if you leave, you will be destroyed. Gulshan said that the Taliban go door to door looking for believers. She says that her relatives have been killed, that young girls are taken away from their families and communities destroyed. Galshan is living under an oppressive authority that, whose very ideology mandates them to kill. That if they find anyone who rejects Islam, that is their imperative to take their life. But Galshan isn't just sitting under the heaviness and weight of persecution. They have the double disadvantage of incredible poverty. She says that every day they live in fear that either the Taliban will come or they will die from hunger. When she was interviewed, she said her family for the last three days had lived on one bowl of lentil soup. She said, but the lentils have now run out. And Gulshan's story is representative of so many Christians around the world where they don't just bear the weight of poverty but also persecution. Christians across Afghanistan, across Syria, in Yemen, in North Korea, they don't just share the weight of all the people in their country of living in a war zone or living without much food because of an oppressive government. They are also attacked. They are also unable to live out their faith. They don't just have a lack of food, but a lack of freedom. They're not just hungry, but they're hated they don't just have poverty, they have persecution. It's the weight that they have to bear. And this was the truth for the church in Smyrna. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, I know your pain. I know your poverty. I know what you're going through. And the majority of us won't be facing severe poverty. We probably won't be facing severe persecution. But we all know pain. 
And my hunch is that we will all come to a point where the burden and the suffering and the struggle is so great that we don't feel like we can go any further. We don't feel, we don't know how we're going to walk out the next year, the next month, the next week, the next hour. And what does Jesus say to you and to me in those moments? I know. I understand. Why was it so important that this church in Smyrna knew that the one who was writing to them was the one who had died and come to life? Because Jesus was saying, I've been there. Hebrews tells us that we don't worship a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We worship one who has been tempted in every way and yet was without sin. Whatever you're walking through, Jesus says to you, I know, I understand, I've been there, I'm with you, I'm behind you, I'm beside you, I'm in front of you, I am walking with you in your pain. He understands. And so next he gives to this church an instruction. He says in verse 10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't say, look, you might have struggled. It might have been tough, but things are going to get better. There's a bright day just around the corner. Keep pressing on. You can do it. No, Jesus says it's going to get worse. Some of you are going to get thrown into prison. It's interesting with organizations like Open Doors that interviewed Galshan because there are so many non-profits that are trying to get rid of the thing that they are fighting against. They're trying to make poverty history. They're trying to get rid of anti-trafficking. They're trying to get rid of domestic violence, as they should. But organisations, for example, like Open Doors, they're not trying to get rid of persecution. They're just trying to help Christians stand up underneath it. Because they know that it's the tool that the world uses, but God uses for good to refine and shape his believers and Jesus is the same. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't pretend that there's not going to be suffering or pain. So often we want to avoid it. We pray, God, take it away. But here, Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, I'm going to help you walk through it. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison. Some of you are going to face things you've never faced before. But do not fear. Do not fear, he says, be faithful. Have faith, not fear. Now, it's a phrase that we can throw around a bit as a Christian. Have faith, not fear. But it's a lot more powerful when what you're facing is death. When the cost of being a Christian is so great that it would take you your life. I did a marathon earlier this year in Tasmania, all of the time in lockdown. I thought I may as well run towards a particular goal. So I trained to, towards a marathon. And I was thinking that if someone came up to me at the start of that, that marathon, a course that I had never done before, and they said to me, don't fear what's ahead, just be faithful. 
just run the course, you'll be fine, you'll get to the end. I would appreciate the sentiment, but if I then watch them walk over to the coffee cart, purchase a coffee and a donut and hop in their car and drive home to watch Netflix, then it wouldn't have the same kind of meaning. I would still be left alone to go and run this marathon by myself. But if someone came up beside me and said, don't fear what's ahead, have faith, I've run this course before. I know there's a hill at kilometre 27. I know at kilometre 32 that you're going to feel like giving up and you don't want to press on. But let me tell you, the finish line is good. And not only have I run this course before, but I'm going to run it with you. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm going to cheer you on when you're struggling. I'm going to rejoice with you when you're feeling great. I'm going to dance along when you've got a good tune in your ears. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And when you get to the finish line, I'm going to put that crown on your head. I'm going to give you the finisher's medal. And you know what? When you want to walk, I'll carry you because I've been here before. I've done it and I know that it finishes And when Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, when he says to us, I know, do not fear. He's saying that because he's been there before. He's run the race. He knows the course. He knows what's ahead. He came to earth. He lived this life. He was betrayed and rejected. He was nailed to a cross when all of his friends fled from him. He was wrongly accused. He knew what it was to struggle in every aspect of his life. He's been there. He's been faithful all the way to death. And then he rose again. Hebrews said that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. So he says, I know, and you can be faithful unto death because I'm with you and I conquered. And the whole story of Revelation is all about this battle that is going on, a battle that we can sometimes forget about because we're just doing our Christian life down here. As Ben said, these entertainer Christians, but there is a cosmic battle going on. And what Jesus is declaring is that I have won the battle I am sitting in the heavenlies on the throne and we're still down here and there is still a battle going on because the devil has not been defeated yet. But believe me, the victory crown is waiting for us. And so Jesus says, be faithful unto death. Because as Polycarp says, we can be burned with a fire that would last an hour. But what about the fire of hell that lasts for eternity that those who have denied and rejected Christ I can't even begin to imagine if that decision was presented to me. Deny Christ and you will live. But Jesus says, do not fear. Be faithful unto death. In 1994... I grew up in the Sutherland Shire and um, some of you will remember, obviously we've had a lot of bushfires go through our state and our country, but in 1994, the bushfires ravaged the Sutherland Shire. I can remember driving home from holidays, I was only eight or nine years old, and as we were driving along, it was the middle of the night because we, that was the only time that we could sort of get home, and we would just see these burned out houses on our street 
what had happened is that the fire had run up this valley and had created this big fireball and it had jumped from house to house. And so you'd see a house burnt to the ground and then one perfectly standing and then burnt to the ground. And driving along, we sort of, things were still smoking a little bit. We didn't know if our house would be standing or not. And we're turning the corner and us just all letting this sigh of relief out as we saw our house still standing. In the street that was the cross-section from our cul-de-sac, six houses had all been burnt to the ground. So the bushfires were very pertinent to our community that summer. And I still remember that Easter we were there on the Sunday morning service talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our minister said to the congregation, he said, Now tell me, where is the safest place to be in a bushfire? And we're all trying to think back to what we learnt in school, you know, drop down and roll or do we hop in the bath or do you get a wet blanket over you or what do you do in the extent of a bushfire? And so while all these thoughts are, are running through our head... Our minister said to us, the safest place to be in a fire is where the fire has already burned. And he said, all the fire of God's wrath, all the punishment of sin, all of the judgment that we deserved has already burned on Jesus it's already been paid for on the cross and now we stand on the ground that's already been burned. We stand in Jesus. We stand in the one safe place. If we are faithful to the end, then we will not be affected by the second death. Those who conquer will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life because Jesus has already paid the price. The fire has already burned on him of God's wrath and righteous judgment for our sin. So now we can stand in him and be faithful unto death, whatever may come before us. So whatever is ahead, tomorrow or next year or in 10 years' time, remember that Jesus says, I know, I am with you. I understand. I'm not a faraway high priest, but I'm running this race with you. And it has a good ending. Suffering may not get better around the corner. We may need to wait until heaven, until we're fully redeemed and made whole again. But that's when God will give us the crown of life, where he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, where he says, I know the pain that you've walked through to get here. But I'm always with you and I walked it too because I love you and you're always in me. And he says, do not fear. Sometimes our suffering is actually more about the anticipation of it than the walking through it. We have a ch child with special needs. We have a struggle with rela relationship. We lose someone we love and we think, I don't know how I'm going to go on. I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow without that person. Or I don't know how I'm going to walk through that pain or that struggle. I don't know how I'm going to keep coping, keep pouring out, keep giving, where I'm going to find strength to go on. And Jesus says, do not fear. I'm with you and I will give you the crown of life. Let me pray for us today. God, thank you that you have conquered 
Thank you, Father, that that you endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now you sit at the right hand of the Father God. And I thank you that as Revelation tells us, there is a day coming very soon where that beast, the devil, will be defeated. He will be thrown down and he will no longer tempt or attack your people. And you will conquer once and for all and you will come with eyes like flames of fire and hair like grey white wool. And you will shine so that no longer we will need the sun because the light will come from the Son of God. God, and we will worship you all day long. We will sing holy, holy, holy is your name because the Lamb has conquered So God, we look forward to that day. Thank you that you know our pain. You walk with us and you say, be faithful and do not fear. For the one who conquers will be given the crown of life. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.